Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am Len. I am your host for this week, and I am joined by 3MA co-founder Troy Goodfellow. Well, I'm the co-founder. I'm the founder. Anyway, <laughs> I <hello>. just co- <laughs> I copy what Rob always introduces you as, which is a co-founder. Uh, Does he? Oh, a, well. You know. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to All the other, none of the other founders are regulars anymore. It was all my true, idea. But true. anyway, I'm just, I'm just being cute. Because <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, you're also uh, one of the most knowledgeable people about uh, the era that we're going to be talking about that I know personally. Um, because we are discussing uh, Expeditions Rome this week, uh, which I didn't have the Steam page pa- pulled up, but I believe it is... Uh, lo- the Logic Artists. This is the third Logic game. Artists. The third game right. in the Expedition series. Right. They made a Viking game, which I quite enjoyed uh, as an enjoyer of Viking things. And then I think <laughs> before that, there was a Conquistador one that I... I kind of steered clear of because it sounded like, I don't know, that's that's just a tough, tough fantasy to tackle, if you can call it that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, set during the late Republic. Um, you get to you get to meet Caesar, you get to meet, you know, Cato, all these guys and uh, fight in uh, some of the prominent conflicts of the time. Uh, Troy, I know you haven't finished it yet. How far through through the story are you so far? It's been so hard to find time. I mean, I haven't, yeah. I haven't uh, the, but I do. Have, I've gotten a, pretty much through the Asia Minor campaign through the first chapter. Okay, uh, yeah. on the Mithridatic War, uh, the Third Mithridatic War, uh, the first part of the Third Mithridatic War, the command of Lucullus before Pompey comes in and steals all the glory. <laughs> uh, it is the game does open in the Third Mythodic War, and it's. But that's about partway, about half near the end of that chapter, I think. It is a long game. Um, you know, I have, about 10, I have about 10 hours in this. And so there's quite a ways to go, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it's broken up into three acts. Uh, you do you play through the third Mithridatic War in Asia Minor, and then you move on to uh, the North African campaign against the Nesimones. And then the third one takes place in Gaul. And they're all about... 20 to 25 hours long with kind of an, an interlude where you go back to Rome uh, sort of in between. Um, and I, I'll, I won't spoil any story stuff, obviously, because, you know, Troy, you haven't finished it. And I'll, I'll be very curious to hear what you think of some of the the plot developments and the plot <laughs> choices. You definitely don't have to stay on. Yeah, on no, I mean, don't, don't, don't feel to spoil it on my account. I mean, if it's, it's the audience <laughs> we're, more, that we're concerned about, because I don't really worry about spoilers. I've never cared about spoilers. Right, uh, right. So if it's something relevant, if there's something story-wise that relates to the game that's worth saying, feel free uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to go, go, go forth on that. But yeah, I mean, this is uh, the third Expeditions game. Right. And uh, for people who aren't familiar with the series, we did, we did a show on Vikings uh, when it came out. Uh, it is largely a tactical uh, strategy game. At least the whole series right. has, been, has been tactical battles, uh, set their history, uh, small squad encounters for the most part. Um, each game's a little bit different. The first one, Conquistador, had a lot more inter-party interaction, a lot more uh, dialogue trees. And this one leans very heavily on having a main character doing main character things and the main character story, but also a lot of different strategic elements. You don't just have the tactical battles, which are the hallmark of the series, but also uh, larger battle management and recruiting uh, a staff 
and a lot of crafting, which is, you know, kind yeah. of a new thing to the series, at least at this level, uh, in this scale. Uh, so you've played, you, 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 you played the Vikings game. Right. Uh-huh. I didn't actually ever finish it. Um, uh, although I, I did enjoy it. It was just one of those that kind of slipped away as as the march of the release calendar uh, continued to assail uh, everyone in our our uh, our world. Since it's been since about 2016, I feel like with strategy games. Yeah, um, at least. Uh, yeah, it's it's. um. It kind of feels to me a little bit like, and this is something I talked about in my review, that they're trying to do too many systems. Uh, and, and each of these systems I don't necessarily hate. I, I kind of I'm kind of done with like traditional RPG loot. I wish I didn't come back from every battle with like <laughs> 35 uh, you know, curuses, like Hellenic, you know, tier one curuses or whatever. Um where so yeah they they've got the tactical battles they've got sort of a mass battle system now which is the really interesting new thing where you actually why, have... why, why, why don't you explain that and talk about it cuz i think it's a really yeah. interesting little system they have going here it is so you have a legion to start with eventually you you get to control more where um you uh you don't really get to control like anything as fine as like the troop composition, but you assign them uh, centurions that have different traits. It's kind of uh, the the core mechanic behind it is that you want to cover all your bases. Like you want to have at least one guy who's good at cavalry, one guy who's good at logistics, one guy who's good at uh, infantry, uh, because as these mass battles take place, which are semi hands off, um, you'll get these either attack or defense events that will resolve based on whether or not you have a centurion or the other side has a centurion with the relevant skill. Um, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit, I don't actually understand what the dice rolls and the math going on behind the scenes are, which frustrated me a little bit. Like it'll, it'll randomly determine who's attacking and who's defending at any given time. And then it seems to randomly determine what type of attack it is. Like, is it a cavalry attack or an infantry attack? And if you have a guy on your side who can counter that, uh, you know, it, it it X's it out and nothing, you don't take damage or whatever. Uh, whereas if you don't have a guy on your side who can counter that, you'll take more casualties. And then at um, sort of four sort of act breaks throughout the battle, uh, you draw from a hand of cards uh, you start out with a very limited number of these, but then eventually you can assign a commander or a guy on your your staff back at your camp to craft tactics, <laughs> which yeah. is a little weird because they're like one time use cards that you burn. And then sometimes like Lucullus will be like, hey, when you're really in trouble, here's my special tactic uh, that will basically win you the battle. So be careful about when you use it. Um like a rare rare tactics cards you get from these specific people and it might be something like uh okay i'm going to take a hit to my morale and i'm going to take some casualties in return for dealing a disproportionate number of casualties to them so you do have some control over it i just wish the system itself had been explained a little bit better because even 60 hours in i was like i mean i i understand what i can do to influence the battle i understand what levers i can pull 
to increase my chances of victory, but I still don't understand how any of this works behind the scenes. It, it, it is a little bit of an opaque yeah. system. Um, yeah. so it, it, it's a top-down view of the battle and you see the little units crash into each other. Um, and a lot of the cards, especially in the early game, which is what I've mostly played, but I've done a little bit of reading on the other stuff, are there are there are trade-offs. Like, do you want if you eliminate a lot of the opposing army, then those troops are gone and they're they're scattered, they're routed, and they won't participate in future battles. So do you want to make sure you do a lot of casualties, even though it hurts morale? Do you want to preserve do you want to take fewer risks on your centurions getting injured or hurt or killed? Um, there's a lot. You have to. The idea is you have these. Each card has. Well, you gain this but lose this. Um, and you know, one of the most important character. One of the most important things you have to worry about is your your troops' morale. And you, when you take over your legion, the morales. Are, it can be really hard to gain morale. But as you gain, as you become a better general, and as you get level up your centurions, the morale becomes less and less of an issue. Um, but it is interesting, as I was, when I saw they're doing an Expeditions Rome game, I was kind of surprised, because you don't think of, because these are, these are these games are all about small squad battles, and you think about Roman mm-hmm. history, you don't think about small squads. Um, so every so you think about these large battles. So I'm wondering how they, have to, how they would do this. Um, We'll talk the small squad stuff. That's kind of interesting how they right. how they, they fit that in. Uh, so the fact that they do have a system for managing first one legion and then, as you say, multiple multiple legions for larger tactics, it is you know integrating kind of a larger card driven, very simple war game, but in that way it helps you stay kind of within the world um, and not lifting you out. Because if it had all been you and your band of commandos running around winning uh, the Roman Empire, it would have just seemed silly. Uh, for conquistadors, it's kind of worked, because you can argue conquistadors, they were just a, a small bunch of guys, a few hundred, and they had some allies, so you can kind of justify, say, okay, small squad battles work. Vikings, we think of them as raiders, so okay, it's a bit of a stretch, but we can do it. Romans, in the popular imagination, you kind of need to have large battles in there. You need to have your troops going up against the Pontines and the Gauls. So it was interesting to see them come up with a system that kind of matches what you're doing because you do have to, to craft and yeah, you have to research. You When you send your small squad out and they do their commander missions, they discover loot, which can be tactics you can then research and use. So it's all integrated in this very weird kind of RPG way. Right. Uh, but it's a, it, it works in its own little bizarre uh, internal logic. Yeah, it, it does all kind of connect. I um, There's also, so you have your centurions that are just kind of your generic Roman dudes that you hire uh, that yeah. are kind of expendable to some degree. Uh, I tended to lose a lot of them because I would pick the tactics that... Uh, preserve the life of my troops while giving a higher chance for my commanders to die. Uh, so, so I didn't really keep a lot of them around for very long to build up, uh, these really high tier, uh, centurions. Um, but then you also have basically what are basically Bioware party members, like they're named characters. They can't permanently die. Um, and you know, you can romance most of them. Um, and uh, they have attitudes 
based on how you behave in in like dialogue scenes, whether you're going to be more like stoic or hedonistic or warlike or more uh, conciliatory, uh, which actually can affect how they command the mass battles. There's like an insubordination chance where like if they don't respect you, they might just go do their own thing instead of what you told them to. So there are these wires that go between all these different systems uh, that are kind of interesting. Um, even though I think maybe they could have maybe taken out one thing from, from this equation. They could have trimmed it a little bit. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, yeah. And, you know, having these generic centurion puppets who have a few traits, they don't engage in dialogue with you. You can bring them on missions because they have, you know, traits. Mm -hmm. You can so they they can participate in the small squad stuff. Um, no, they can't. What am I thinking of? You, you, you can you can expand your small squad to all of these other people. But the Cisterians you hire are their their job is just to fight the battles. They don't participate in anything. They have they they do gain experience, uh, and their experience is tied to particular weapon skills as they win battles they will gain new skills and new abilities. So mm -hmm. you can get a guy who's really good at logistics and you win a lot of battles with him, he off becomes a good siege guy or he gains a cavalry skill or mm -hmm. something. Um, but you have to use them to do that. But other than that, they are... The math... Is, yeah, it's tied to the dialogue in your plot based on if, if you are too nice... To the people you're conquering, the bloodthirsty conquerors and your centurions might think you're a wimp and might be a little more insubordinate. Um, so they're, they'll become hostile uh, towards you and towards your command. Um, so that's another way the systems are linked. It doesn't work really that well, in my opinion, because... Did you ever look at your like centurions' traits? Did you ever figure out like you're told, oh, your stoic centurion, your stoic centurions, praetorians feel like this? Did you ever figure ever go back to, oh, I wonder if it's this guy? Did that ever yeah, become an issue for you? It 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 becomes a little bit more relevant in the late game, but generally, I found that I could I could win over the ones who didn't like me in in other ways. Uh, there's. Uh, Bestia, who's like the former gladiator, and he just he always wants you to just kill everyone. Oh, this like is in, you, this, oh yeah, this is in your your main squad. Yes, this is in your main squad. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, generally, I mean, like if you keep the morale of your army maxed out, any commander that you send out will be pretty loyal. Which I didn't find it was that difficult. Um, it's a little harder once you have multiple, you know, multiple forces to manage, but. Uh, at least you know keeping the keeping the morale of your main your main force at a hundred at all times seemed kind of trivial to me. If you know which tactics cards to pick, and and if you have uh, you can eventually build like a bath in your camps, and as long as somebody is maintaining that, it will constantly be boosting the morale of the legion. Um, so and that lowers the like insubordination chance down to practically nothing, even if they're not particularly happy with you. Um, but even like the, the main party members who can, you know, eventually, I didn't actually see this happen. For I, I would presume if they get mad enough at you, they can probably, you know, cause problems. 
but I was able to win them over in other ways. I was able to have a conversation with them to be like, hey, you know, you don't like that I always pick the conciliatory options, but here's the thing. This whole city surrendered because uh, without us having to like spend any of our own manpower because they know that I am merciful to people who surrender, uh, you know, at, at uh, when I when I first asked them to like, that's actually something that came up that I thought was really cool, because I know from history that 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 works. If you make a reputation as somebody who is merciful to those who obey you and brutal to those who don't, uh, you know, most cities are, are going to think think twice about whether they actually want to fight it out. Um, and, and by pointing it out to that character, I was kind of able to win them over, despite the fact that I almost always picked the dialogue options he didn't like. See, uh, I, I wonder what happens if we'd gone the other way. If we'd gone the bloodthirsty way and yeah. the conciliatory people, if you would then have, oh, but I mean, now they're afraid of me, so of course they surrender sort of thing. If that would be yeah, I don't know. the option, because there's an impetus in this because you have all of these main characters and they all have, you know, backstories. You have Bestia, the Mauritanian gladiator. You have Kalida, the, uh, the, the rogue who, you know, the the mm-hmm. woman of the of the troop, uh, who's kind of a rogue scout type thing. You have your fellow legionnaire. You have your slave tutor, sort of stuff. You have all of these individuals who have personalities and backstories. There's just, I think you need to push them pretty hard before they break, and where you end up having the place where you need to uh, intervene. Um, very often the dialogue options between battles are, are you know, kind of basic, uh, very straightforward mm-hmm. to learn more about them. Uh, there's, you know, oh, this guy is, has a secret. Yeah, his secret is he, his, he, he, he cheated in a wrestling match, you know, when he was a yeah. young man. It's like, th- th- that's your secret? You were sold to slavery because you cheated <laughs> in a wrestling match? It's like, come on, Barry Bonds. I mean, you can do better than that. <laughs> Uh, it's so, it's, so, so, you know, it's a little bit silly. Um, but you know, that it, it, in many ways it is a very, comparing to the other, compared to like Vikings where there was, I think, stronger bonds for the characters. They had histories with each other. Uh, so you had interest more, I think, interesting and dramatic, uh, consequences here. It is about the building of an empire. So there's this push to have your character on stage with the big players, uh, right. starting with uh, Lucullus. And I'm glad they have Lucullus because I think he's one of the underappreciated uh, generals of of the late Republic. You know, they get the history a little bit wrong, uh, but you know, you got to make these uh, concessions in in, in a game. Uh, but you know, you can't have the late Republic unless you have Caesar walk on stage. You got to have Cleopatra show up. Uh, all of these things are kind of they're kind of built into the expectations. Um, so instead of being a story about a legionnaire, it becomes a story about Rome writ large. Yeah, um, and uh, this is one of the things I was most interested to to hear your take on as somebody who is very knowledgeable about this specific era. And I'm, I especially would, if you do get to a point where you find enough time to get through that first act and get to the, where you actually go back to Rome and you're meeting, you know, Cicero and Cato, like Cicero is such an interesting 
character in this story. Well, just tell um, me about it. Tell me about your experience uh, with Sister Enkeda. Well, like you, when you first meet him, uh, it's presented that he's, you know, he's going to be your lawyer in this proceeding, which by now the you're off the historical rails probably already. Like you can actually, depending on your choices in Asia Minor, you can actually capture Mithrid- Mithridates and bring him back to Rome. Like that's that's something that can happen. It's It's very much like a Bioware game in that, you make these big, impactful choices that have a massive impact on the rest of the story. Um, and uh, the, you have sort of this rival family that um, maybe killed your father. You're not sure. And they, they you know, captured your your sister or the, they, they married your sister to one of their sons or something to try to become paterfamilias of your estates and take it over and stuff. Um, and so you go to this party and you meet like Cicero and Cato. And uh, Lucullus is saying he's on our side. And then you show up at the Senate the next day. And it turns out that he's actually representing your enemy, the, the guy who who you th- his family think killed your father. Um, and there's like a very interesting sort of tense moment there where you, you have to kind of match wits with one of the best, uh, you know, uh, redder rhetoricians. I'm not sure what the, <laughs> the words would be uh, there that, you know, that to me was like, oh, man, I'm I'm into this now. Like this is this is uh, this is getting to match wits with with Cicero is probably one of the best moments of the game that didn't have any anything to do with the battle system or the mass combat system or anything like that. Um, and sort of just understanding what he's about and like understanding what Cato's about and like what what lines in the sand they will each draw ends up being very important. Like you have to understand what they stand for if you want to either get them on their side or use them in some way to your benefit, which I thought was really cool. Um, as, as, as a big Cato the Younger stan, I'm kind of looking forward <laughs> uh, to this and seeing how... Uh, yeah, yeah. Seeing seeing what they do with my poor little half-wit. Uh, so. <laughs> he's he's kind of presented as a jerk uh at first at least uh he's he's kind of uh kind of arrogant and, and dismissive of you um well and, that's uh, that that's one of the yeah. historical interpretations of cato that he's just a yeah. performative jerk who yeah uh, is but there's also he's he's a complicated i think he's he's my favorite because he's an interesting complicated guy um and they they, they do uh it's interesting to see them abusing how they handle them from my perspective. Because I'm looking at uh they do it's interesting where they try to use history and where they depart from it. Now, one thing really we're saying, you know, Cicero and Mithridates, they do in the dialogue, spoken dialogue in the game, is a very, very strong interpretation of classical Latin names. So the pronunciations mm-hmm. sound very weird to an English ear. Uh, the pronunciation of cities, the pronunciation of names. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never, you know, they would put, oh, this is how these are properly said. Uh, I understand someone, you said Kikiro in a video or something, and mm-hmm. they, you had, oh, don't say Kikiro, I'll tell what it is, it's Cicero. Um, and maybe Mithridates in the game instead of Mithridates. Um, and all the all the consonants are really, really hard. Uh, and all right. the spelling's very, very uh traditional so they go they would probably say oh this is just how it was you want to capture this authentic roman experience authentic greek and roman experience meanwhile they have Ar- archelaus uh 
participating in the third Mithridatic War, when in fact he was in the first Mithridatic War, uh, which is also when the siege of Mytilene and the fall of Lesbos was in the first Mithridatic War. Lucullus was under Sulla at that time with Thermos, not the third Mithridatic War, which was like a decade later. Uh, but they tie all that together into one conflict, which is still very, very not accurate. So, But they do want to have this very, very pseudo-accurate Latin. They have your small band of groups that they call speculatories. You are speculatories. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask about that, like the Roman there. Navy you, SEALs. Yeah, it's like you're a commando <laughs> unit. I mean, specul- that's, not what spec- that's not what speculatories were. Uh, you know, a speculatory was, uh, they were special troops, but they were like couriers. They were messengers. They were an officer. They were an officer corps of messengers and heralds and couriers. They might sometimes do some spy work, but they aren't, you know, an elite commando unit, uh, which is kind of how your troops, but they want to have, this, but the, because the expedition series is about uh, and largely heavily interested in these small tactical battles, they go with, okay, we're just going to call them speculatorious, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to go in and secret missions to burn, you know, Pontic fleets. And uh, these are the groups who will be, like, making sure generals escape from battles. They're like a special bodyguard unit. Um, and they can get some really good and interesting uh, missions done that way. But I always find it interesting where games insist on the historicity and when they decide eh whatever ultimately i don't care ultimately this is not a really big deal for me i'm not a huge stickler for historical accuracy um unless it's unless it's a blatant absolute you know unless unless it's a harmful lie i don't worry too much uh, about historical accuracy for the sake of plot uh but yeah it is interesting where they have the really really hard pronunciation like why why are you putting the accent there that's not where the accent goes it's like well that's that's where they're going to do it um yeah which which is fine uh one thing that i do find in this series with the small battles with your speculatories and it's really an issue i think with you know a lot of tactical games especially in the early going there is a lot of, or I find a lot of, I found, I found my sweet spot, a lot of fight the battle, lose, reload it. Now you know what's yeah. coming. Lose again. And eventually, <laughs> you, eventually you figure it out. Like there is a, about, you know, three hours in, Archelaus, the great Pontic general. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're cornered in Mytilene and you're in this battle and your options are pretty much either to wear down his troops so he surrenders or kill him directly. He's like a superhero. Kill him directly and his troops scatter. Being the, mm-hmm. being the you know, conciliatory guy I am, I prefer to kill, you know, 15 peons to save Archelaus. Somehow this is a merciful <laughs> thing in my brain. Um <laughs> And that proves to be very, very hard because they keep trickling in more soldiers. It's just a constant trickle of, you're, okay, I just have to kill two more. Then four more guys show up. Okay, I got to kill three more. Then two more guys show up. And it's good. So it's almost forcing you to take what's called the optional, the secondary goal, which is to kill Archelaus. So you ambush him and you just beat the hell out of him um, the whole time. But there's a lot of save, of lose, Figure what's going on and then restore the save. Go back to the autosave until you've figured out where the units are coming from, uh, what is the pace of the reinforcements, 
what types of units are there in, in your path. So there's a, especially in the early going, in the first, you know, first few hours, figuring out which of how your powers work, how your abilities work. Um, and then you load up a new weapon and the weapon comes with new powers and new abilities. Uh, some bows only have like five shots on them because they're all special attacks. So you don't have one constant available arrow, which seems like a really bad way to build a bow. <laughs> Where you could, yeah. uh, and you can't do any normal shots once you've run out of your five super shots. It's like, huh. This is, yeah, this is it, it, So there's a lot of this. There's a lot of that. It's not just the expeditions. A lot of tactical games are like this. Um, it's, it's, I mean, to an extent, I mean, XCOM can be like this, but because you need to win the battles to move forward here, you can't lose a battle like can in XCOM and say, okay, well, I'll just come back the next time. If you lose a battle here, you're done. You gotta replay it. You gotta fight it. Um, so there's a lot of lose and so so I will I'm just I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but I am warning our listeners. You will be reloading a lot in the early going until you figure out how does cover work. Um you don't even get bandages for a while. It really scales you into new things, it really scaffolds in bit by bit. Um for, you can lose like a you can get like half your troops knocked out in the early going and everyone's oh they're fine. They're all all uninjured. Then they introduce you to bandages. Yeah. Then they introduce you to bandages. Now your guys can get hurt because you know how to say because you know how to use bandages. Uh, so it's a very instead of giving you all the assistance at the beginning, everything's kind of taught to you in a very weird and oddly paced way, which I guess makes sense since you're going to be reloading a lot for the first five hours. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you're, you're talking about, some of the weapons just seem to have terrible like skill builds on them and it's like you can equip four skills at a time and then you can switch between weapon sets and have like a second set of skills as well and those four slots can either come from skills from your weapon or from your skill tree so i think later on as you kind of fill out the skill trees that becomes a little bit less of a problem right because it's like if this okay if this spear is just garbage i can just put stuff from my skill tree in there. it's a little bit weird that your spearmen, your backline spearmen who can actually attack over uh, the backs of your front line, which is really useful, are also your doctors. They've combined that <laughs> into a single character class, um, which which feels a little strange sometimes. Um, uh, they also have I don't remember if the other Expeditions games had this, but they have that mechanic where if you kill like one of the peon enemies, like one of the, the really weak enemies you get your attack back. So it incentivizes you to do things like, okay, I'm going to send this, this melee guy forward, whack this dude once. I'm going to send this melee guy forward, whack this other dude once. And I'm going to take my elite archer and she's going to pick off both of these guys and then get a third attack against a third guy. Um, that's how I ended up solving some of the, the trickier battles uh, later on. Yeah, there's a lot of, finding ways to restore your action points in a battle and yeah. restore mm -hmm. your focus. Um, if you can find ways to, you know, maximize uh, that sort of thing. And there's also, you know, the, what I think is a neat little feature is uh, if an enemy is knocked down, they're not necessarily dead. Mm -hmm. uh, they can be, a, a healer can come out and 
bandages them up, and they can be right back in the battle. Uh, very low hit points uh, to start with, but which encourages you to kind of sometimes think, oh, I need to kill this guy. I need to put him to the, the kill shot, which kind of which can cost you an action point. Um, but it's, sometimes it's the wise thing to do because you don't want mm-hmm. that person on your flank if the healer comes in off map as a reinforcement to, you know, restore, I think it was a uh, a battle where I took out an archer at a higher level. Um, he was above me and I took him out first thing because he was right in front. So great, knocked him out from my two archers. Uh, but it, although he wasn't killed, and then I got like surrounded down, I gotten, gotten wrapped up in melee combat and a healer came in and brought that archer back and he started firing fire arrows at me because I, I was, and I got kind of, kind of discombobulated because uh, my archers were kind of busy making sure they weren't uh, they because if they, they couldn't get away from the melee combat they can't take a shot in melee combat without op- opening themselves up to attack of opportunity so it can be a quite especially as all the skills unlock it can be an interesting little balance of you know, am I bringing the right powers here? Am I bringing the right party here? Like, maybe I need another archer. Maybe I should refight this battle, but bring another archer instead of a, a, a this Triarius guy, instead of a spearman. Um, maybe I don't need any heavy, heavy infantry at all. I mean, this is a whole skirmish thing. I can just go up on the higher levels and just use my skirmishers. Um, so there, are, the battles can get interesting as the uh, terrain. Uh, is, is it a city battle? Uh, is there a narrow path where you can just pick things up or you can close people off in a, in a valley? Um, are there opportunities for the healer to get in there? There's, there are, there can be some interesting tactical choices because uh, there is a lot going on. I think it's a lot more transparent than the larger battle system. Um, but it, 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 is an inter- it is still an interesting tactical game. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, uh, like some of the objectives um, that will just require you to kill a certain number of guys. I actually liked those battles the best, I think, um, because it it let you pick and choose. It's sort of a morale system, kind of like certain classes actually get like a fear ability where you can make people run away. Um, And I. I kind of like those battles where you're vastly outnumbered, but if you can figure out how to take out like six guys in two turns, they're just like, we don't want any part of this. Yeah. You guys, <laughs> we're out of here, uh, which I, I liked those maps a lot. Um, there's also some that you can finish without fighting. Like you, uh, I know you did the, the wrestler quest uh, when you actually have to go like get that trophy back or whatever. I sent an archer with like really high speed in there and I was like in and out in like three turns without any attacks, which was kind of cool. Um, there are, there are certain maps like that where whatever the objective is, if you move fast enough, you might actually not even have to fight anyone, which I don't see a lot in, in these sorts of tactical games. Um, and then it all kind of builds up and culminates to, uh, at the end of each act, there's this huge siege battle uh, that happens, and uh, it's it's a multi-stage thing. It takes place over multiple maps, but you kind of have to divide your staff up into teams, 
And then in addition to those teams, there are going to be friendly NPCs fighting on your side in every battle. So I think the one where you actually confront Mithridates when you're actually at the end of that battle and all of your squads that have been off in different parts of the city doing different objectives come together. It was like every single one of my centurions, the named ones and the random hired, you know, puppets, plus like 10 to 20 allied troops. And then like we're going up against like 20 to 30 enemy troops. So it really does kind of feel like a mass battle, even on the tactical level, which could get kind of hectic. Um, but I think it kind of works because it's objective driven like that. It's not like we have to wipe out the entire enemy side. It's like we just have to inflict enough casualties on them that they decide this is not a good idea or we have to. Uh... And you actually get you get access to siege weapons <laughs> at that point as well, where you'll have catapults that have their own turn where you can like mark a spot on the map that will get hit by artillery the next turn. Um, and those were really enjoyable. Those are those are pretty some pretty wild uh, scenarios. Uh, that I was very impressed that they actually got it all to work together. Um, it's nice because your your allied dudes that you don't control really like to do killing blows. So like you said, we yeah, it, it sometimes makes sense to 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 make sure everybody's dead, and they'll kind of come in behind you and do that automatically, which was nice. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh. It's it's an impressive tactical game. It's really one of the, one of the more impressive, I think, turn based tactical games that I've played in a while. Um, I don't necessarily love the class design so much. I think yeah. some of the skill skill trees are a little bit awkward. They have a lot of stuff later on that I just feel like is I didn't get a lot of use out of it. Um, Almost like your your gear matters more and like the utility you have early on. It doesn't. You don't gain a lot of extra utility as you make your way down that skill tree. I don't know if you felt the same way about that. Well, the skill tree, especially in the early going, is, yeah. you know, it's it's difficult to know what to choose. Because um, a lot of the early skills are, you know, very, very basic things. Uh, some are, def so you have, there are active skills, there are passive skills. Some things... Uh, the passive skills are, you know, they're, they're they're passive. They all affect your resistance. They will affect your resistance to things like fire or poison or that sort of thing. Um, they can affect, you know, unit morale. They're, they can affect, you know, uh, your general strength or accuracy, you know, your general skill level at certain tasks. Um, then you have your active skills, the things you'll need to, like, save and you're, you'll have to, to, to load up. And, you know, as you move down the tree, they get more expensive. So the question is, okay, do I want to save up? It takes like two skill points to unlock a certain thing. Do I want to save my two skill points for a later thing? Or do I want to just use the one I have now to add another skill? I'm not quite sure how it will work. Um, there's a lot of hit and miss. Um, mm -hmm. this, there's, there's The skills are kind of the classes are, you know, there's your healer, there's your tank, there's your archer, uh, there's your light infantry, the guy, the 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 Valus and the Triari, the spear yeah, he's guy. Yeah, he's a rogue, basically. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they have Velites and Triari, things that hadn't been used in Rome for like a yeah. for like 80 years. Fine! Fine! 
it's clear that they just picked a word uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that sounded kind of Roman for each yeah. of these RPG classes. There hadn't, yeah. there hadn't been a Triarius, you know, <laughs> since before Marius died, but whatever. Um, so, but so the, the, the classes are generally affect, you know, how a, a loose bunch of skills, but in the early going, you, know, you have to choose for your character, what is their class going to be? And you don't know what's going to be available to you further down the line. Uh, so I, I chose a princeps. I chose your standard heavy infantry because mm-hmm. why not be be a, be a, be a, a princeps? Um, but then you have another princeps beside you, your other guy. And so you have two princeps with you. And then you have uh, <laughs> Bestia, who is a gladiator of some sort. I forget what his class is. Uh, he's a he's a Velas. I, yeah. I think he's yeah. a Velas, and you have your Sagittarius, who's your archer, uh, and you have your healer. But so, what should I have chosen another class? I don't know. How important is class balance? I don't know because a lot depends on whether you have a lot changes if you have are bringing four people to the battle, or if you're bringing six people to the battle. Or if, as you say, there's, there's a larger like twenty people in a battle, it really doesn't matter what classes you have, because you have like a bunch of everything. But yeah. if, you have, if you have four versus whether you have six, does that makeup can make a huge difference from one battle to the next? Well, they throw another curveball at you, which is that after you've sent your your um, your legion in to like win a mass combat and kind of conquer a region, you then have to. Uh, send a smaller party in to pacify it. And in those battles, for some reason, you can only send one of your main party members and the rest just have to be random guys that you, you pulled out of the tent. Um, so those were some of the most frustrating, but mm-hmm. also maybe some of the most interesting battles because it's like, OK, I have this, you know, I have I have the Roman A team, basically. <laughs> it's like these six characters yeah. That, you know, I know them all really well. I know all their skills. And now it's like, OK, I'm sending Aquilinus in here with three randos and I don't know what their skill trees look like. And I didn't bother to equip them with stuff. So I hope this yeah. goes well. <laughs> um, yeah. So those those were those were equal parts frustrating and interesting. Um, and uh, it, it's a nice way to, to, I guess, make you explore some different tactics and not get into the same rut of, you know, my thing was I had three guys with shields up front and then i would usually have um uh i would have um what's the 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 greek uh the philosopher guy i can't think of his name right now Cineros. yeah yeah he would he would be right behind them with this his spear and ready to heal and then i would have two archers in the back that were just kind of plinking plinking away uh it's kind of interesting the interplay between melee and archers as well cuz like if you have your shield has a certain number of hit points, and yeah. as long as you have at least one hit point on your shield, any ranged attacks from the front will just do nothing. So you do kind of need melee attackers to like run forward and like break their shield basically before your archers can really do anything to those heavy infantry, um, or you can get behind them if the terrain allows for it. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and then then all of a sudden I'm thrown into a battle where it's like, okay, I have like two triari and an archer, and then like I can choose one person from my party to send, and we have to figure out how we're gonna make this work. And there, there, um, there is a lot of math 
uh, in, yeah. in this game. I mean, everything's everything's clear. You know how many hit points everyone has and uh, how many shield points. Uh, and the, the, the shield stuff can get very, very frustrating. Uh, if you can't get there and everyone else got, if you can't get, if you can't flank their infantry and they have shields, uh, your archers are just going to be, you know, wasting their time unless they've got something like, if they have a fire arrow, maybe they have a chance. Uh, but even there, it's, uh, they have a higher chance it gets to deflect it or moved off. Um, and shield ability can come back if there aren't any hits that shield right. can get right back up again so if it, to knock it down so there is a lot of uh trying to balance and work with the 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 the, the mobile cover system there's, there's a cover system if someone's in cover or you can't see them they can't be hit either with your uh with your, your missile weapons. But the shield is kind of a mobile cover, but it is something that can be disabled and should be disabled. Uh, so the tactics game uh, can get quite intense, and I think is it's it can be very, very interesting given, you know, the limited types of classes here, um, the wide range of skills available can uh, make things quite challenging. And the other interesting thing with uh, we were talking about how how all the different layers of this game kind of interlink. One we haven't talked about yet is these like tactical items that they actually they cost the same strategic resources that you're using for all of your other camp stuff and to like equip your armies and things like that, where you can get uh, like a fire pot or like a pilum, um, but you have to restock them from your war chest between battles uh but they're really powerful yeah. like a, a P I never went into battle with like without everybody on my team having pila in their inventory because it's like a free attack on the first turn and for for ev they don't cost an action point. right the cost is strategic rather than tactical because it gets very very expensive if you're just throwing pila everywhere every battle um and it, it's almost once you get rich enough, I it, it feels kind of overpowered because at a certain point, it, it does kind of feel trivial to replenish those uh, as long as you're doing well on the strategic side. I think this also ties into like Rowan's theory that like you can either have a good strategic game or a good tactical game and they <laughs> kind of exist at the expense of each other. Yeah, let's talk a bit um, talk about the strategic. Yeah. That's like a bit of the strategic game. Um, yeah, it is. It is a, in many ways a territorial control game. Right. There is uh -huh. you have to occupy your you're the Roman army, um, and your 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 legion has a camp, mm -hmm. uh, and the camp has to be. You have to upgrade the facilities, <laughs> right, in your camp, um, mm -hmm. and the more upgraded your legionary camp is, the better the materials you can produce. The higher level materials, the faster they can be produced, all of this stuff you know, comes in together with an upgraded camp. But to upgrade it, you need to occupy stuff on the map. You need to occupy a tannery or a lumberyard. Mm -hmm. And just occupying the province doesn't count. You have to send your legion out to do it, which takes time and can cost men. It can cost casualties, uh, which you need to replenish then again back at your camp. Once again, all of this stuff is, is, is linked in. Um, but when you I say you occupy an iron mine, and you can use that iron mine to create an armory for your legionary camp, 
you actually end up spending that mine. It's like a currency. Right. It isn't like, mm-hmm. oh, we have a mine, so I can now do this, but then I can use the mine for something else. No, no. That mine is done. That mine is gone. Like all the mine has been used up and vaporized. Right. Uh, it's still on the map, of course. You don't want to lose control of it. It's still on the map. It's still yours, but you've spent it. You've spent its resources to build an armory. But you only have to do that like once because mm-hmm. your legionary camp throughout the game has whatever you brought with it. I guess you're just packing up whatever you have, like Marius's mules. You're packing up the armory <laughs> on your legionary's back and he's carrying it from camp to camp. Um, but, you know, things are more expensive. Uh, higher the upgrades. You know, there are different layers of upgrades. The whole upgrade tree uh, you can pursue. And it all ties in. So a lot of these things do tie into I mean, a lot of some some of these things cost. I mean, for you to grab these resources will cost you things like slaves. So you have to get slaves. Where do you get slaves? Well, you get slaves from either buying them, which means you have to get gold, which means mm-hmm. you have to go and sell shit or take it from a farm or someplace. There's an entire underground economy. <laughs> Yeah, so you can manage these resources on the strategic map so you can build the stuff you need, the better equipment, the tactical items like bandages, fire pots, or pila for the tactical maps. Yeah, it's it's really interesting cuz there's 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 even like supply and demand from one region to another, which I don't yeah. think it ever actually fluctuates. I think it's yeah. just set for whatever region you're in. Or you could actually play this like like a trader game where it's like i'm gonna go there's like slaves denarii medical supplies and food are the four resources and your army obviously consumes food and medical supplies and it's like you can go to lesbos where you know slaves are are very expensive and sell off your slaves and then go somewhere else like uh i don't know like like chalcedon where they're they're very cheap and buy up a bunch of them and you could technically just keep doing that and, and get infinite money if you had the patience. Um I don't know who does. Yeah. I mean there's a limited amount you can buy at each town, so you would have to make a lot of trips. Um and that that uh that was kind of interesting. Um I I don't think I paid that much attention to it except that I saw if I was in a location where where something was cheap, I would get a bunch of it. And if I was in a location where it was expensive, I would sell a bunch of it. Um, There's an early encounter. Uh, yeah. where some, some Greek merchants show up in your tent and say, look, you just sell us all your prisoners. We'll give you 3,000 right now. Yeah. And then whatever yeah, prisoners you take, that. they belong to us. And 3,000 is a lot. Like You can replenish your legion oh, yeah. a couple of times with 3,000 denarii. Um but then you forego, I assume. I, I, I didn't take it, of course, because... Uh, oh, I, you know, I took the deal. And actually, I think I finished the campaign chapter before they ever came back <laughs> to claim their slaves. So oh, well, nicely jo- done. Jo- joke was on them, I guess. I don't know. Well, maybe um, I should have done it. Because yeah. that, that is a lot of gold. Uh, that is a lot, yeah. that's a lot, lot of coin. Because um, you, uh-huh. you're... you're to re- your to replenish your manpower is can take a lot of time uh yeah. to recruit new legions the easiest way to do it is to pay money but that's expensive otherwise mm-hmm. if you have one of your people back in the tent doing this recruiting 
stuff while he's in it while your while your uh, friend is in the recruiting tent. That's someone you can't use right. in battle uh-huh. while, while people are while people are recuperating in your tent or sitting in the bath or they're in the armory. That's somebody you can't use. That is somebody who is off limits for your missions. So that becomes another choice. Um, you you don't want to have too many serious injuries because you could end up completely you know wasted. There's no time limit in the game that you can take as much time as you want. But it isn't. This is a very very long game, uh, so it does try your patience sometimes having to wait for all of this and hope at watching the time tick down on the map. Yeah, well, and there is a little bit of natural attrition too because yeah. if you if you just wait around, eventually you know. Mithridates or whoever is going to come attack you, yes. and you're going to have to defend your towns. Uh, he might attack a province that's days away from where you currently are, so you have to run up there to defend it and uh, and stuff like that. So there is a little bit of it's not like just you can just wait around until right. everything's perfect. There is a little bit of pressure right. on you. Um, and he, and, he will uh, sometimes send out like 1,200, 1,500 men just to yeah. just to bother you uh, more than anything else, which then of course ends up. I mean, it's, it means it, it's experience farming for your centurions, but again, you end up losing guys you probably can't afford to get back. Yeah, yeah, um, and it it gets it it ramp that ramps up as you go throughout the campaign, like uh, North Africa, and uh, especially once you get to Gaul, it's not like twelve hundred guys that are coming out just to to be an annoying little uh you know wasp buzzing around your head or something you actually have to deal with some pretty significant uh counter offensives later on um asia minor kind of feels like a tutorial because yeah i never really felt like it's like as long as i can get my legion there we're gonna win it's like five thousand versus two thousand or whatever it, it didn't ever seem that uh that tense in that regard um I had one other thing. Oh yeah, the the other thing is as you're kind of moving your party around the campaign map, you you get these like random pop-up events. Uh and some of them were pretty interesting narratively. Like there's there's one point where I ran into a group of women from a village that had been like ve- devastated and all the men had been killed by Mithridates and uh you can spend a bunch of money to basically arm them and you can send one of your centurions with them to train them where he becomes unavailable for a little while. But then every time that they attacked me from then on, uh, these these women that I basically equipped as partisans um, would attack their supply lines and it reduces the strength of the force that's coming to attack you. And uh, there's all kinds of little like mini dilemmas and stuff that really helped me feel like I was actually moving around a living world uh, more than just a game board. And I actually really enjoyed those. I t- uh, those women came up to me and I just told them I got this. I'm fine. We don't need your help. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, yeah. They, they they did not like that. They said oh, we'll do your revenge on our own. Okay, fine. You go do that. Uh, so probably I should have. Yeah. You know, uh, at that time I didn't have a whole lot of centurions. I didn't have a lot of time. I was trying to make. Yeah. Pro- I was trying to make progress in the game so I could uh, be on this show, and I still didn't make enough progress. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, I don't have time to wait like three hours in a game, even though I was like less than five minutes. Uh, so yeah, I, I probably should have uh, let help them take their vengeance. Yeah, but they, yeah, they're yeah. they're on map, they're on map missions, uh, on map little dialogue things. Uh, there's 
all kinds of little bits of role-playing intrigue you can get into. But again, it's all very focused on your character. I found out that, you know, something tied to one of, like, each of your characters has, like, their moment. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah. it's not like there's a strong relationship built with most of them, even though you kind of... Also, I kind of wish they'd talk more to each other. Going back to Conquistadors, uh, one of the first ones, there were there were moments where your characters would talk to each other, and they would learn about each other, and you would learn about them. Uh, I remember in Conquistadors, there was a one of my party members was a zealot, and one was a and a skeptic, and they'd have this debate and this discussion, and you'd see how they'd relate to each other. It's like, oh, shit, should I, have, should I put these people in the party altogether? Is this going to be a problem uh, going forward? Um, and the, all of that stuff comes forward. Here, so much is focused on your character and what they do, uh, which is fine, because it really is, it's a heroic story. This is a sword and sandals movie. You're, you are Charlton Heston, you know, trying to reclaim your legacy. Uh, it's been stolen from you by the Evius Emilius Scavola. Yeah. Uh, and I, there, you do get a lot of that later, I will say, okay. um, as far as like party members, there's like a really good um, scene when you come back to Rome for the first time where Cineros, uh basically is teaching Bestia Greek philosophy. And that's a really interesting scene. You actually play as Bestia in that scene. And it's kind of like he asks, what is best in life? And, you know, you can answer, you know, uh, to crush your enemies and see them driven before you. And like, he'll walk you through a lot of uh, sort of the, the philosophical schools of that era. So there is some really cool stuff with that interaction between party members that you do get to later on. Um, not, not as much in the first act. I think when you're actually on campaign, it's more about your character, right. like you're saying. And then the, the interludes in between campaigns is when they, sort of let the the other characters breathe and and do their own thing a little bit more. They all have all kinds of interesting stuff going on as far as, uh, you know, Aquilinus has some interesting family drama going on back in Rome. Um, And, uh, you know, some of them uh, might want to think about getting together. I think you can actually romance most of them. I didn't really get that deep into that, but I've seen clips on YouTube. which is uh, it's it's interesting how how much this sometimes feels like a Bioware game, even though it at its heart it's it's a tactics game and and sort of a strategy game now at this point too. Yeah, it really is. Um, um, it, it does have. It's a very much a plot driven strategy game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Overall, have you uh have you enjoyed what you played so far? Like, how would you compare it to the previous expeditions games? And I, I, I I think in many ways it is. I mean, it's a continuation of their formula. It's getting it more and more refined. Uh, I think there's, I think all the linkages to the different levels are relatively well thought out. I think it's too long. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, that's, I think that that's I, a fair. I've been playing for like ten hours, and it's apparently not fifty to go. And it's like you know that's yeah. uh, that that's longer than Civilization. That's longer than a Hearts of Iron game. That's that's a long yeah. time. That that's that makes this that puts this into like RPG territory instead of like I could probably I could probably play through every Age of Empires campaign, Age of Empires four campaign in fifty hours. 
Oh, yeah. Um, I haven't, because uh, I'm not a big fan of the campaigns in general, but I probably could. 50 hours is a long time uh, mm-hmm. for a game, that, that, but that, that's the RPG side. Um, and if the strategy level is kind of, if the strategy doesn't change a lot, if I'm just doing the same things, uh, the same types of battles, only with better toys leading up, then the story's got to be really, really good. And you say the story goes interesting places, so I'm it, looking forward to that. I mean, you have to tell me the, the Gallic stuff off, 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 off mic, because that's really your, because as, yeah. as, 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 Gaul's really your thing, uh, whereas I'm the Roman Senate guy. Uh, I, I'll say, I think I can say this much without, like, majorly spoiling the end of the game, because I think it is really, I mean, the story payoffs are pretty worth it, and the big decisions you get to make at the end are very cool in relation to the era. Um, if you think about in real life, uh, Caesar was kind of the main character of the late Republic. Love him or hate him. In this alternate history, uh, you are the main character uh, that kind of decides the fate of the Republic. I'll say that much. Okay. I mean, there there's several different endings from what I've seen. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you get to you get to majorly influence the destiny of Rome. Uh, towards the end, which is pretty cool. So, um, did that go up to the crossing of the Rubicon? Yeah. Um. The, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of possibilities. I've, I've only done one of the endings. Um. But there, you know, I've, I've looked at the achievement list and I've seen some of the other, other ways that you could potentially go, and it does make me want to try some of those because i think there's there is more of like a cincinnatus type ending um i think there's there's uh it seems like there's an ending where you can just be brought to ruin uh which is i'd be interested to see how you actually uh can accomplish that um i guess if you you don't make the right decisions um but yeah i mean you you can you can you can do what Caesar did if you want to. Yeah, I, I'm interested uh, in playing it through because this is my favorite. Yeah. This is my favorite uh, period in history. Uh, yeah. the Republic. It's something, and I, it's you know the different possibilities, and I want to see uh, how. Well, what did they do with Pompey? Who I think is you know the great, the real main character, yeah. the real main character of the Republic <laughs> is Pompey the Great, because he's because he's he's Solo's right hand man, and he's the guy who wins in Spain and defeats the pirates, and settles uh the asian campaign of mithridates and takes jerusalem and sponsors caesar <laughs> it brings him to ruin but he's the main character yeah he just doesn't have the happy um, he just doesn't have the happy ending yeah um i'll i'll throw the word triumvirate out there that might play into yeah. the late game a little bit um so uh yeah, I I overall I think I I really enjoyed this. And um, you give us your, your review was at IGN. Yeah, you can see my review on IGN. Um, you know, I my obviously among the three MA cast, I I am the most stridently anti-Roman, but I <laughs> I admired that this game doesn't really it doesn't really pick a side. I mean, like, yeah, there's kind of some glorification of the Roman legions going on, but it's not like. But I mean, even, even in the early, not even in the early, even in the early going, where you have you have to confront, yeah. the, you have to confront the, 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 the this governor, uh, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, of course I'm with Mithridates because he's trying to throw you Romans out, and the last Roman governor was a bad guy. He was oppressive. Uh, Mithridates right. is here to help the Greeks, which is. 
you know, once again, kind of a first Mithridatic War thing with, with the, 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 the Roman Vespers, uh, when Mithridates arranged for every Roman in Asia to get murdered. Um, and he found a lot of Greeks willing to help him do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah, there was I... this sense that, you know, Rome was not, you know, a good guy. So you, of course, as the uh, main character can, you know, be there defending, you're the guy, of course, defending Rome. But you can also say, yeah, I know, we're going to say, our next governor is going to be a good guy. It's like, no, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. They yeah. never are. You know better than that. And I, like, I don't think it's really, like, a strong critique of Roman imperialism no. either. No. Um, but it's, it, the especially, like, uh, some of those smaller events that you run into on campaign, <clears throat> And some of the choices you make dealing with the local leaders who are very much portrayed as nuanced characters yeah. where it's it's not like a, a desperate la lost cause struggle uh, against the Roman invaders. It's like, you know who Gauls really hated were other Gauls. Uh, they did not get along. The whole divide and conquer <laughs> thing. I mean, that's kind of a theme. Yeah. Both the Roman history yeah. and here. There's a lot of. You could say it's nuance, but often it's it's just your standard RPG yeah. RPG path to take. Which path do you want? Do you want to be the mean guy or do you want to be the sneaky guy? I mean, that's kind of <laughs> you want to kill all the people or do yeah. you want to use you know forgery and subterfuge? You know, that's kind of how it's that's very it's very RPG ish. I mean, but Bioware is yeah. not a bad you know old Bioware type games like a Baldur's Gate. Mm -hmm. That's not a yeah, bad. Yeah. That's not a Baldur's Gate two. That's not a bad parallel uh, to a a lot of the things uh, pan out here. And, and particularly what I was impressed with is how much uh, time is spent showing you how the war, like these various wars and campaigns are just affecting average people who just live there. And like they don't necessarily they're not like, oh, yeah, Rome or they're not like, fuck you, Rome. They're just like, we want to we want to. Uh, like harvest our crops and not get killed. That's yeah. that's like our main concern. And I feel like this game does a very good job of portraying that side of history, at least certainly better than most other games about this era. Would. And uh, that's, I think, from a historical standpoint, what I was most impressed with. Uh, and then with, there, with there, the there's a I mean, yeah. expedition series is series, series, series games. Yeah, uh, they, uh, have, they have, um, they generally engage very well uh, with the hits of history. They engage it. In, I mean, that's how you get a that's how you get a fifty hour game like this. I guess uh, is they do have they choose where to engage. They do quite a bit of research. They try to make it capture the period reasonably well. I thought the Viking series was Viking game. Well, I mean, except for using the word Viking, was pretty good uh, in general at that. Conquistador, their first try. Uh, you know, a little bit iffier, as you say, but at least it did try to capture some of the nuance. Uh, here, I, I I think they are, I guess it's always interesting where games depart from the history and the stuff they choose to bring. Uh, there's a codex, I guess it's kind of like their civilopedia, uh, where you can read more about this stuff. And some of the tips are a little bit weird. Like there's a, there in-game little historical notes, like, Here's a thing on Roman names. Here's a thing on whatever. The thing on Roman names. Yeah, yeah. The thing on Roman, yeah, there the was... thing on Roman names I don't think is quite accurate. You know, 
people the first name was when all your friends called you. Well, not really, because like they're all everybody was named Marcus. You know, it's like yeah, they, 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 it's like they try to teach you Latin grammar in some of the loading yeah, texts. This is this, is, this is what the vocative voice is for. I'm gonna use I'm, I'm gonna use that going forward. God, I have my vocative voice. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. you know, everyone. A lot of games do that, and that's kind of cool. But I think that the, the, the in-game codex is kind of interesting. Um, if you want to learn more about the period in an easy way. Uh, I, I, I like it. I, I think it's an interesting game. Um, I have to, still have to finish it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but, but you're gonna. Play, I mean, you're you're in for a long haul here. It is. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those games that, like, if I hadn't been reviewing it, I don't know that I. I mean, I didn't finish Vikings, and I'm a Viking fan, so I don't know that I would have found time to finish it at this point in my life. It, it feels like one of those games where, like, I would want to take a couple of weeks off to like really dive into it if I were just playing it for fun and it's, it's harder and harder to find, you know, time to do that these days. Cause there's several games like that that are in my backlog <laughs> uh, where it's like, yeah, next time I could take like a, a couple weeks off, I'm really gonna kind of uh, chew on, chew on this. There's just so many that. games. It just, who has time for anything? <sighs> there's too many video games. Um, any final thoughts before we uh, we wrap up on Expeditions Road? I don't think so. I think we both came in a pretty good place here. Yeah, yeah. I would I would definitely recommend it to people who like tactics games. I would recommend it to people who are particularly interested in this era, and especially if you also like those old school Bioware style RPGs. I think this will probably be right up your alley. Um, but I think that is going to do it for uh, this week. Uh, this episode was produced by me, as <laughs> always. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can go check out the forums over there at idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. We're also uh, supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can get cool perks like access to our Discord server, uh, occasional multiplayer matches. I think we're kind of uh, we're all kind of interested in checking out Warno, the new Eugen game uh, coming up here because um, we have a lot of fun with Steel Division. Uh, I think that was one of our, our most successful multiplayer games in the history of the Discord. So uh, checking out more Eugen stuff is probably in the near future for that uh, that crew. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter where we are at 3MA. Um, we'll be back again probably next week uh, with another great episode. So until then, uh, for Troy, this is Len saying goodnight. <laughs>